Alcohol Tipping Point is brought to you in partnership with Speak Studios and Speak Boise. Speak Boise is a community-driven studio space where voices from all walks of life can speak and be heard. You can find them on Instagram and Facebook at Speak Studios, Speak Boise, and at their website, speakstudios.com. Speak Studios, speak and be heard. This podcast is also brought to you by Instant Imprints. Promote better with Instant Imprints. Instant Imprints are Boise's visual communications experts and your place for everything you need to promote your business, club, school, or group. As a locally owned business, Instant Imprints specializes in making your organization more visible with custom branded apparel, embroidery, promotional items, print services, and wide format printing for signs, as well as banners and vehicle graphics. Want better ways to get noticed? Visit Instant Imprints at instantimprints.com slash Boise or call 208-IMPRINT. That's 208-467-7468. Welcome to the Treasure Valley and Boise, the City of Trees. As one of the fastest growing areas in the entire nation, finding the right home is only as important as finding the right realtor. And who better in the Treasure Valley than Regina Collins, realtor? Licensed in both Idaho and California and self-employed since 1999, Regina Collins prides herself on a strong business and marketing background. With years of experience owning and operating full-staff businesses, Regina Collins is ready to work for you. Specializing in relocation, veterans and military families, listings, buyers, commercial, new homes, contingencies, and solar, Regina Collins is able to offer the whole package for her buyers. Whether you are new to Boise, want a better lifestyle for you and your family, or just want to get to know this area better, Regina Collins is honored to help you with this process. For more, visit reginaforhomes.com. Welcome to the Alcohol Tipping Point. I am your host, Debbie Maisner, and I have a very special guest today. Her name is Khadija Warren, and she is a teacher, um, and she's come on to share her story. Um, And so I just want to say thank you again, Khadija, for being on my podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for reaching out. Of course. Um, So tell me where you're calling from. I am calling from Stockton, California. Okay. So you're on the West Coast, sunny California. Oh, yes. (laughs) And you're working as a teacher and have been during this rough time. So just thank you also for giving of yourself in that way. What a difficult year it's been. Yes, it has, but thank you so much. Thank you. And so um, why I wanted to have you on is I was inspired by your story because you recently hit your one-year sobriety date, Um, and and you just, I saw you on Instagram, and you have just been glowing and, and sharing and have been so generous with that. And so I wanted to give you the chance to share you know, what your experience has been like with 
with alcohol and addiction. Um, so, so let's just kind of start at the beginning um, okay. of your story. All right. Well, um, I'm glad we have a couple of hours to sit down and talk. Um, <laughs> <It's true. laughs> Where were you born? Um, <laughs> so I was um, born and raised in Stockton, California, and I have a lot of friends who always leave Stockton, but I stayed here. Mm-hmm. And um, my mother was a single mother, but we did see our dad on the weekends. And my dad was a full-blown alcoholic. And I say that because I seen him sober maybe mm, twice out of my life. Wow. Um, and so since we, you know, since our mom raised us, she kept us away kind of from, she shielded us from that. But in our household, my mom, um, she wasn't a drinker. and She didn't use drugs or anything like that. But she would bring home beer. And, and it was just me and my sister, and we were nosy. And we were always like, well, what is this beer for? And she's like, oh, it's to clean out your kidney. And I'm like, oh, okay. So you never, you know, we never really too much cared about it. Um, and then she would bring home hard alcohol uh, and hide it. And I would always find it and wonder what it was and taste it. And, and I'm like, oh, that's nasty. And so um, as we grew up, as me and my sister grew up, we would see our dad and we would see him drunk and hanging out and um, different things like that. And I swore to myself, I would never become my dad. And so um, as I grew up and went to high school and and developed friendships with friends, uh, we would do, you know, teenage stuff. We would drink and I always was the one like, oh, I don't want to drink that. My friends would get, you know, totally wasted. And um, and we were in high school. So they get totally wasted and their moms had to come pick them up. And I always told myself I would never be like my dad. Mm-hmm. As I got older um, and had my children, I didn't want to be that mom. But... Um, I had the gastric bypass, so I was much heavier. I decided to have the gastric bypass. And what that is is a a weight loss surgery, and you go through so many different um, components. So they teach you how to eat well, and they have you go talk to a psychiatrist, and um, they ask you about the background in your family. Did anyone drink? Did anyone use drugs? And, of course, you know, I wanted the surgery, so I didn't say that my dad was an alcoholic because I wasn't really around him like that. Mm-hmm. So I end up having this surgery, and I was fine with it, lost weight, and continued to teach and to, you know, feel better about myself. And then I was like, well, let me celebrate this weight loss with some alcohol. And so the alcohol became a, like my best friend. So it was like, oh, okay, I'm looking nice. I'm going to go dress up and I will go out and I would have alcohol. 
and we would go out to happy hour, me and my friends. And they're like, you're not going to order anything to eat? And I'm like, no, I just want alcohol. And when you have the gastric bypass, the alcohol hits you faster. Um, instead of going, you know, through the, your large intestines and small intestines, it goes right straight down to your to your lower intestines. So it hits you hard. So two drunk two drinks in, I'm already drunk. Mm-hmm. Um, then I noticed, wow, I would rather drink than eat. And then I was okay with it. So um, I had my two children, and then I got married. And my marriage was hard. It was hard because my husband is a recovering addict from meth. Mm-hmm. And I didn't grow up around meth, never knew what it was. But he was a recovering addict, and he would see me drunk, and then it would be lots of uh, verbal altercations and different things like that. And so what happened was I used alcohol more and more to escape. And then I uh, was going through my issues at my job. The job I worked at closed down. I was looking for another job. I always wanted to teach. And so I found another job, but I used alcohol as a coping mechanism. So alcohol was always there. It was always there. And even with my marriage, my husband filed for divorce, and my daughter had to have open-heart surgery all within the same month. And so I just finally was like, you know what, I'm just going to um, drink. I'm just going to drink myself. I didn't really care about anything at that time. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to drink, have fun. I'm going to live it up. He wants a divorce. Okay, cool. Um the funny thing is, even though I was doing all this drinking, I still would get up every morning. I still would go teach my class. I would count down the hours until it was time to go to happy hour and start the cycle all over again. Now, this time, um, my daughter is watching me, and my son is watching me, and my husband is watching me. And my friends are like, oh, Khadija's the funny one. Bring her when she gets drunk. She's so funny. So it was like a, a, a night and day because when I'm home, my kids are watching me, but I'm still drinking and I'm hiding the alcohol. I don't want any, I don't want them to see. But when I'm out with my friends, you know, the alcohol is flowing. I don't care who sees me. Um, so it was, it was hard. It was hard. Um, now, the turning point, and I'm just giving you a little snapshot. The mm-hmm. turning point, um, the turning point when I decided enough was enough was November. This was in November, and I, I won't forget because we went on a cruise, and, um, you know, you go to Mexico and have fun, but my concern was how much tequila can I bring back? And how much can I drink? Mm-hmm. Um, I really couldn't enjoy myself because I was so, I was like, everyone's asleep and I'm at the bar. And I really could not remember a lot because I drank that whole cruise. And I brought home alcohol. My bag was, was full of alcohol. And uh, they had stopped me um, before we got off the the ship and I thought it was because of the alcohol but it was my passport Mm -hmm. so I'm just like oh my god they found out and uh, so 
I came home, and it was my birthday when I came home, which was November 21st, and I was like, fuck it, I'm tranky, and I drank so much, and my husband was upset, my daughter, I remember, you know, peeing on myself and my daughter having to help me. And I was just like, oh, wow. And that, and my, you know, at the time my daughter's 16 and I'm looking and I'm like, oh man, I don't want her to see me like this. And then I went to bed and the next morning, got up, drank some coffee and went to teach my class. So finally, fast forward, it's December and I go to a party. So I get to the party and it's a co-workers party. I get to the party and the only person I know is her. And she tells me before we go, um, I know you drink, so leave your car here. And I'm, I said, okay, leave your car here. My husband will drive you home. I'm like, oh, man, that's great. I get to drink all I want. So I get there, and this was a different type of party because the alcohol they had, I have never even tried. So, like, the harder whiskey, the Jameson, I never tried that. And I was just there like, okay, give me this. Give me that. I'll taste this. I'll taste that. I'll taste this. And then all I remember from that day was waking up at someone's house. My shirt was off and my shoes, if I'm not mistaken, I didn't have them on. And I I said, where am I? And the guy said, I need to get you home. Um, I don't even remember how I got home. I don't remember how I got in the bed. I didn't even remember where my car was. I just knew something had happened because of the way I looked when I came home. And so I said, okay, and I have a good relationship with my doctor. I called my doctor and I said, I I was drinking. I don't know if I was raped or not. So my doctor says, okay, come in. We'll see what's going on. So I go in and he's like, well, you know, we have to do a rape kit and we'll call the police. And I told him, I said, no. I said, because I drank so much, I don't even know what happened. I don't remember who the person was. The person could be standing in my face. I wouldn't know who it was. And he's like, are you sure? So he's like, okay, let's do all these other tests and give you all these shots and Um, come back again in, you know, three weeks so we can repeat the same thing. And it was just embarrassing, and I Mm. felt so bad. And I couldn't tell my husband. As a matter of fact, I never told him until maybe a year later. Mm -hmm. Um, And then slowly and surely, I felt as if, you know what, it's not worth it anymore. And I I wanted to commit suicide. And I called, I remember calling Kaiser and I was telling them like, um, I don't want to live anymore because so much had happened with the drinking and, and, um, just driving drunk, having my daughter in the car, just so much had happened. I was like, well, if I was out of the picture, I wouldn't have to remember anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I called Kaiser and they're like, okay, we're going to have you talk to someone um, at our behavioral, um, our behavioral program. And I, the lady got on the phone and she said, okay, are you, do you want to hurt yourself? And I said, well, I don't want to live anymore. And so she's like, okay, well, we're going to bring you in because it sounds like you might be 5150. And so I'm like, "Uh, okay. So I come in and we talk and she says, you know what? Um, 
after we talked and I explained to her what's going on, she decided, let's just get you a therapist. And so I said, okay. So I was going to therapy while I was still was drunk. And I had a therapist, and he knew that I was drinking. And every day I would talk to him, he says, when you're ready to stop, let me know. And I would say, Scott, I'm not ready to start. stop. I want to keep on. So he's like, all right, let's continue to talk. So we continue to talk about what led me to that point. And then finally one day I was at home, and I said, Scott, I think I'm ready. And he says, you sure? And I said, no, let me drink one more day and then I'll be ready. So then I called him the next day and I said, I think I'm ready. And so he said, okay. And then I thought to myself, this man is not going to call me back. Within 15 minutes, he had a young woman to call me and she said, I am your new counselor. And this is during the pandemic. She said, I'm your new counselor. I need you to come to Kaiser, pick up your paperwork and pick up your folders and your binders and you're going to start today. And I'm like, oh, this lady is crazy. <laughs> so I went and picked up, I, you know, I went and picked up everything and um, I literally started. It wasn't, how can I put it? It wasn't like AA or anything like that. It was as if you were going into a program. And every day I would have to log on and at this time we couldn't see, it was like a Zoom but we didn't see each other's faces. We logged in every day. We had to talk about what we were grateful about and um, how many days we had sober. And so finally after the third day, after listening to everyone's story, I'm like, I'm not this bad. I, I don't want to stay in this. I'm not this bad. I was hearing people's stories and I'm like, oh, I cannot relate to it. But I was like, mm, let me just stay in it and see you know, let me just stay in it because now it's starting. Now I started seeing, wow, I had three days and I had four days. Mm -hmm. And on my page, I shared with my um, viewers my whole detox program because I thought I was going to die. My heart was hurting so bad, but it was part of the alcohol coming out of my body. So 383 days later, I am here, sober, um, practicing what I've learned in the program, trying to become a better person. I don't want to say trying, I'm actually becoming a better person. And it feels good to be on this sober journey. Um, I look back at some of the things that I went through while getting sober and some of the triggers. And I live right down the street, literally down the street from the store. Mm -hmm. And every day after work, I would go and get a bottle of vodka. To where the people already knew me when I came in, and one lady, she was, a, um, she helped me out, and she says, "How's your son?" And I'm like, "How do you know my son?" And she says, "Well, his he goes to school with my daughter," and I was so embarrassed, so I'm like, "Oh, I can't go to this store anymore." So then I had another store down the street I would go to, and I became a regular, and it was just like, okay. I'm a little embarrassed because I teach in the community that I live in. So a lot of people knew me from being the teacher at school. Um, and so now it feels good to actually go in and get groceries. It's not just, <laughs> good, you know, not just get alcohol. It feels good to go in and they don't see me um, as that person. Now, I got sober during a pandemic, and that was hard. And that was hard because 
I've never been in a pandemic. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know, you know, staying at home and actually dealing with your own thoughts. That's hard. My school was the way I can escape, you know. I didn't want to think about my husband. I would go to work and escape that just for a couple, for eight hours. Mm -hmm. But I actually had to stay here and deal with those thoughts. Um, thank God my husband, he's an over-the-road truck driver, and he the, his company kept him on the road. So I was able to get myself together here in my house with my daughter. It was hard because I even said, okay, if I'm going to therapy, I want to put her in therapy. So we're going to therapy. She's in therapy. I'm in therapy. And we're doing this, you know, I'm doing the sober living in the pandemic and it's and you know it's hard because people want to especially when you're by yourself and you're thinking about your own thoughts and and what happens and you hear about people passing away and what happens to my kids and I overthink a lot and I'm thinking like what what's going to happen with my son but I really have to come to grips like hey Khadija get get yourself together because um, I don't have my mom anymore she passed away I don't have my dad anymore. He passed away. So it's just me and my sister. And my sister, you know, she's she has her own life. And it's just me. And I really had to sit down and think about it. Like, if something happened to me, what would happen to my kids? And, you know, my husband would be around, but I'm pretty sure he wouldn't stay single forever. So just a lot of thoughts that I had to deal with. And I'm able now to take those thoughts and some of them are just feelings, but I'm able to let them go and just continue throughout my day. Yeah, I felt sad for a little bit, but what is sad? And I really had to take the time to look it up. Like, what is sad? Before I start saying I'm sad, let me see what is sad and um, take those thoughts and let them go and still get up and continue to do what I have to do. Now, fast forward to Instagram. Now, this is how I got on Instagram. So I'm in a pandemic, and I'm like, um, my counselor says, okay, guys, you guys need to go to an AA meeting. And she's like, but you can't go to the place. You have to do it through Zoom. And so I'm a people person. Like, I have to be around people. So that was hard, too. And I'm like, I don't want to do this on Zoom. And so I was like, let me get on Instagram. I don't know what made me get on Instagram, but I was like, let me get on Instagram and see what's going on. So I started looking up um, sober pages and sober black girls page came up. And I'm like, wow, there's a page for people who look like me. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, so I would follow her and, and see what they had to say. And then I seen sober brown girls club and I reached out to her, and I'm like, um, how do I start a page so I can do my journey? And so she was like, oh, you have to do this and that. And then I was like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. It's too much going on. I don't want to do it. Forget it. But I would follow a lot of people. I think they're the Sober Sisters. I would follow them. They sent me out, you know, a lot of different resources. And then finally, I'm like, wow, there's a community for me. And I, I didn't necessarily want to go the AA route um, because there is an AA right by my house, and my uncle is there. 
And I'm like, oh, I don't want to go in because I didn't want them to know that I was drinking. And I didn't want him to know because, you know, if he knows, he's going to tell my aunt. And then my aunt is going to tell my other uncle. And then all of a sudden, the family's going to know. So it was like I didn't want them to know. I actually didn't want anyone to know. Only people who knew was people in my community that seen me and my friends and my family. I didn't want my extended family or my immediate family to know. So um, I decided one day that after talking to a lot of my friends that are teachers and finding out that they also had um, problems with alcohol, I wanted to start my journey as a black sober teacher. Um, and when I started my journey, I had a lot of people that said thank you and reached out and said, I'm an educator too, or I work in the education field as well. And I do this and I'm a principal and I'm a this and I'm a that. And I'm just like, Oh, wow. Okay. And so ever since then, that's how that page was born. And that's me. And I, I document everything that goes on. Sometimes they're highs and sometimes they're lows. Um, I didn't want to tell anybody about the rape. Um, because I, you know, how you're like, well, people know that I'm a flirty person and I don't want them to say it was your, 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 I didn't want any judgment. Mm -hmm. um, but recently, I'm glad I did talk about it because I had a friend who had the gastric bypass as well. And she um, told me, hey, the same thing happened to me, but I was raped twice. And I need to stop drinking. I'm following your page. And I thank you for even saying anything about it. Um, I didn't want anyone to know. And so that was like, okay, God. I, I might be doing something right. So that's my story. <laughs> and I, that's me. Yeah, and, and thank you for sharing that and and just putting yourself out there and making yourself vulnerable um, because that is how we get through the pain and the shame and the blame. Um, and it's so, you know, just recovering out loud is so powerful and it's just something I've noticed more and more of because there is so much, you know, just like what you said in your story, so much similar in my own story, just here in Idaho, being a white woman, <laughs> but, um, but just the same thing, like where I would hide it. Um, and I didn't want anybody to know. And I, I still went to my job, just like you continued to teach. Um, I still, you know, when you're functioning, um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you think, well, I'm not that bad. Right. Or then you start yeah. comparing yourself to other people and, um, those sorts of things. So, really powerful and and just how you recover out loud like like I said and like how you claim your identity um I mean that's your Instagram handle black sober teacher and identity the more and more I read about it it's just so powerful and important um mm -hmm. because that's how your your actions and how you live your life will follow what you call yourself um, yes. And that was just a way for you also to to help other people, other teachers, like you said, um, and then finding other black women, people of color on social media, just having. Well, tell me a little bit how that 
has helped you just to find different groups of, you, you said, people who look like you? Like how, tell me it, more about that. Um, okay, so, you know, I um, I was thinking about this the other day, and I'm, I looked at all the other new pages or mm-hmm. all the other pages I never discovered, um, and it really has helped me because of um, we, and I, I'm going to use it loosely, sometimes um, black women or women of color have this stigma or have this sign on our backs and say we are strong black women mm-hmm. we're strong black women and I can't speak for everyone I'm just going to speak for myself and um, you're so strong you should be able to handle that you're going through a divorce handle that you're, you're a strong black woman uh, your daughter's having open heart surgery handle that you're going to a party and not knowing you can do it you're a strong black woman and I, I wanted to find pages where I can be, where I can say, I'm not that strong. I'm, I'm not that strong. I don't want that sign put on me. And so the different pages that I seen and, and started following, it's like, okay, it felt good to not have to be strong Khadija. I can just be Khadija. Um, it felt good to say, okay, I'm going to go out into the world and not be judged. Um, I'm able to uh, talk with women who look like me and within our culture or within our background, um, because I come from a religious background. And you mentioned therapy. I mentioned therapy to my aunt, and she called and was like, don't tell that man anything. And I'm like, well, how am I supposed to get help? And she was like, you better pray. And I'm like, I pray, but I need help and prayer. And so just the whole culture of not um, seeking help or not saying anything about you being an alcoholic. Like in my family, we didn't know uncle so-and-so was an alcoholic. Um, I didn't know it because everyone kept it a secret. And it was kind of like an unspoken rule. You don't go and say what goes on in our household. And so when I would talk to my, my, my white friends, they're like, oh, no, we talk about everything. We already know, you know, Uncle Charlie, he does this. And, and so I'm like, oh, okay. And then I would talk to my uh, Mexican friends, and they're like, oh, we already know. He, you know, keep him over there because he likes to drink. But in our, my black family, it was like nobody said anything about it. Oh, we know she, we know, you know, we know aunt so-and-so likes to drink, but I didn't know she had an alcoholic problem. And so I wanted to find pages where I was able to say, okay, well, this is happening in my family. um, Does it happen in your family as well? And just being around, um, like I said, women who look like me, I no longer have my mom, so I can't talk to my mom mm-hmm. I mean I could talk to her you know I can talk to her but sit down and actually physically get an answer back from her um a lot of the pages I'm not gonna lie I was looking for someone to say okay Khadija this is what we are this is what you can do and that led me to um sobriety queen Connie and I she's really... coming on next week Oh, good. Oh, you know, I really love her because she looks like my aunt 
And when I see her, I see that's my aunt. <laughs> I'm like, she looks like my aunt. So I really like, I don't know, I was fixated. I don't want to say it like that, but I was just like, she looks like my family. And when I talk to her, I get that family vibe. I get that vibe that I want to see you win, Khadija. I want to see you be the best that you can be. And that, for me, is special. Um, and there's other pages that I have became sober sisters with, as I call it, that have that same, you know, love for me. But um, when I go to Sobriety Queen Conning, it's like I feel like I can be uh, a little a little sister. And I take in the knowledge. Like I, I like to sit down and, and listen to what she has to say. And when she tags me in things, I like to, you know, call her and say, hey, I'm going through this. Can you tell me what to do about that? And so she has really became a, um, a, a person that I really look up to. And so just finding her page and other black women as well and just finding their page. And I'm like, oh, wow, I have a place. Because when I first started, it wasn't that many um, and if there was that many, I didn't find them, but mm -hmm. so far, you know, when I first started, wasn't that many black women, um, on Instagram telling their story. Um, but there were, you know, there were a couple and I wanted to make sure that if any woman of color or any woman comes across my page, she can resonate with what I'm saying and she can find herself in my story. Um, yeah, and so I think it was very important. I was also the host on A Thousand Hours Dry, Black Indigenous People of Color. And I thought that was very important as well because I like that she, um, I think her name was Kaylee. I might be saying it wrong. I like that she had a page dedicated to where women of color are people of color. Doesn't matter women or men, he or she or you know, whatever they identify with are able to come on and tell their story and host the page. So that was, you know, that was big for me. I was like, Whoa, yes, sign me up, sign me up. <laughs> That's fantastic. And you know, what? I got voted most talkative, so I can talk all day. I'm sorry. Oh no, <laughs> I love it. I I'm love hearing your story and, and your insights. Um, it was just thinking about, how, you know, like you said, you were looking for that mother figure, just that older sister, um, and how, you know, maybe that makes you feel safe around someone who looks like you. Yes. So what, um, what would you say to someone who is struggling with alcohol use? What, what would you offer them? What are, what would be like your top tips or top advice? Oh, that's a good one. Um, my top advice is to find out your reason why. Mm -hmm. um, find out your reason why. I had to write it down. I, I really wish I could share this picture with you. I have um, a TV in my room, and on my TV I have index cards of my reasons why. Mm -hmm. My reasons why I need to stop drinking. My reasons why I need to be alive. And so, I mean, my husband comes home and he's like, can you take those off of there? And I'm like, no, <laughs> these are my reasons why I, when I get up in the morning and I'm a visual person, I need to see that. And so that those are my reasons why, why I'm on this journey. 
And then not only that, um, I had a friend reach out and I told him, I said, make sure you're ready because I can give you all the tools and resources, but if you're not ready, it's not going to work. So make sure you're ready. When you're ready, um, reach out, call you know, your local AA meetings or um, call someone that you trust and say, hey, I'm ready to, I'm ready to stop. And they can give you the resources on what you need. I'm all about advocating and teaching you how to do it yourself. Um, because I had somebody hold my hand at one time and I'm like, ah. And then I was doing it because they were holding my hand and I'm like, no, I need to do it myself. So every day I get up with my reasons why and why I'm grateful for this life that I have. And um, and I also had to think about my children. And those are one of my, like I said, one of my reasons why. I had to think about my children and I had to think about someone other than me. So it's kind of like I had to put my ego to the side. I was like, well, I'm going to drink all I want to. But I had to put it to the side because I wanted to be there for my children. Um, and so my top reasons are, are not also reasons. I'm sorry. My, um, top tips is basically write down your reasons why, and then seek out the resources. If you need help, there are many, many, many Instagram pages that will help you. Many, many AA meetings that are in your local area that will help you. And then, uh, for me, I needed to go to therapy. Because I knew once I was alone with my thoughts that I was going to have some problems. So I did go to therapy. Um, I'm not saying, you know, because therapy, thank God I have a job that pays for it. Yeah. But maybe a trusted friend that you can sit down and talk to. Someone who you trust and sit down that you can sit down and talk to. Um, And those are the tips that I have. Yeah, those are those are great. And it, it sounded, you know, when you said you, you really can't do it until you're ready. And, and when you were telling your story about your therapist who, who was so, um, oh, I love him. Just, <laughs> just like graceful. Just you, when you're ready, you let me know. You just let me know. Like just, uh, Hey, you ready? All right. Maybe next time. And just how fantastic that was. Yes, he, he, I really had to tell him um, not too long ago, I thank him. Um, And we were crying. Oh, we both were crying on the phone. Mm -hmm. And I said, I thank you because you didn't pressure me. uh, You didn't judge me. And when I said I was ready, you didn't uh, say, okay, well, you know, I'll call you in three to five days. No, you were on it. And so I thank him. I thank him for saving my life. Um, and like I said, that he saved my life. I was ready, but he saved my life because I didn't know where to go. And, um, yeah. And the funny thing about that one was I was looking for a black therapist Mm -hmm. and I'm like, okay, I want a black therapist. And they were like, well, we don't have any at this time. And so I was like, just give me somebody. So they give me this white man. <laughs> and I'm just like, and, and, and first when I met him, I'm like, okay, he's a middle-aged white man who has a nine-year-old daughter. And here I am, a 40-something-year-old black woman with two kids. You know, and I'm just like, 
what is he going to tell me? You know, what can he tell me? Uh And to be honest, I'm just like, wow, I thank you. He goes above and beyond. And I know, you know, some people don't have to go above and beyond, but he's like, you know what, I'm going to send you out this paperwork and I want you to take a look at it and put it into practice. And I'm like, all right, I'll do it. I'll do it. And so, you know, he checks on me and that, that is great. That is great. And it was, it was funny. Like for me, it was funny. Um, and everybody is like, well, a lot of my friends are like, well, who's your therapist? And I always call them, you know, white boy Rick. And so they're like, what? And I'm just like, no, that's not, you know, that's not his name. But for me, it was like, I hold him near and dear. And for me, yeah, I didn't get a black therapist, but I got this man who loved me just like a dad would, if that makes sense. I don't know. Yeah, Just yeah. Like a black oh. dad would. Yeah. I mean, so, you, you um, didn't get what you wanted, but you got what got you what needed. needed. Wow. Yes. Oh. Well, um, what what are your future plans? Um, you know, I <laughs> I'm um I'm the type of person I try to take it one day at a time. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, whatever the future has, it has for me. But I want to really write a book. And it's not necessarily a book about my life. I wanted to do a book of affirmations for educators. Mm-hmm. And um, I know, like, the pandemic, my sister wrote six books, and I'm just like, wow, I'm here doing nothing. But then I'm like, oh, I'm here getting sober. So I I really wanted to write a book, and I wanted to bring awareness to educators who are sober. Um, And just looking at so, like, we're, we're getting ready to go back to work, and I have so many friends that are stressed. And my friend is like, I just need to drink. I need to drink. I need to drink. And... I want to bring awareness that being a teacher, people think this, oh, it's so easy. You guys get to play with the kids. No, it's hard. It's hard. I've seen how it was when parents had to teach their kids at home, and we were the first persons they blamed. And a lot of my friends, or let's put it like this, a lot of my associates went to pieces. My friends did not. But my associates literally just went to pieces. They were like, I can't do this. What do we do? I'm going to the store to buy alcohol. I'm doing this. And I'm just here. You know, I'm here in my little bubble. And I'm like, well, let's calm down. Let's think about it. Let's talk about it. And they're like, no, no, I need something to take the edge off. But I see myself in the near future just bringing awareness. I kind of wanted to set up a safe space where whoever wants to come and not have backlash. I was afraid to put my story on Facebook because my, um, my boss follows me. And so I have to be real careful about what I put on there. And so I want a safe space. So if you want to talk about whatever you want to talk about, it's not going to be shared out of that space. You're not going to have to, you know, if you come in this space, we're not going to go out and say, you know, I heard that, you know, Bobby was drinking again. No, it's a safe space where we can come, we can talk, and we can enjoy each other's company without upper management 
judging, if that makes sense. So that, I wanted to oh, create yes. that. I wanted to continue um, just recovery out loud, um, mm-hmm. my journey. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, um, I had a hard time yesterday because I ordered a mocktail mm-hmm. and I took a picture of it. Now, I went with my my friends. We haven't seen each other in a while. And we're getting ready to go back to work. So we're like, let's go to um, our favorite place. Now, this favorite place for them is not favorite for me. Because that's where I would go and drink all day. Okay? So I'm like, oh, shoot, I don't want to go. But I was like, let me just see if I can go. So I go and I ordered a mocktail. And I took a picture and I posted it on my page. And um, I got a lot of inboxes about that. Some were good, some were bad. I got a lot of phone calls, like, are you drinking again? And I'm like, wow. <laughs> I'm like, no, it's a mocktail. Matter of fact, I didn't even drink it all because it tasted gross. So it was like, okay, this is just straight sugar. So um, that really was hard for me to digest that and sit there with that because I felt as if, Maybe I was overthinking it, but I felt like I was being judged. So I reached out to one of my sober sisters, and I'm, like, telling her what's going on. And she sends me over a list of people who are sober and make mocktails. And so she was just like, you know what, don't even get into it. And when I went to bed, I I was dreaming that I was drunk. Oh, those are the worst. (laughs) Yes. And it was just like, oh, my gosh. And then I was thinking, like, well, maybe the mocktail, you know, your mind plays tricks on you. So I'm like, but I wanted to show people that you can go out and still be you without alcohol. Like, my friends that I went with, those are my close friends. They're like, you're still crazy without the alcohol. And I was like, duh. You know, (laughs) This is me. You know, we still had fun. Yeah. We still had fun. We laughed. We joked. We were, we were in our element and I wanted to, I wanted in the near, and this is what I want to do. I want people to know you still can have a life without the alcohol. You don't have to sit in your house. You know, the world's opening back up. I don't suggest you go out so fast, but you don't have to just sit in your house and watch TV. You can be around people. My friends already know Khadija does not drink. Did they order drinks? Yes, they did. Did I sit there and lust after it? No, I did not. I remember my reason why. I remembered I'm going to enjoy myself. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going, you know what I mean? Like I already had it set up to where, I'm not going to drink. So, yeah, if you did order a drink, cool. You keep yourself over there. I'm over here. We still can laugh and talk. But I was just surprised with the backlash that I got from it. I don't, I didn't understand that one, but my main purpose is, and as a teacher, I plant seeds. And as a black sober teacher, I want to plant seeds that you still can have a life. And it doesn't have to be alcohol driven. 100%. So, um, yes. <laughs> so, um, in the near future, you might see me not as much on Instagram because I kind of want to take it a little bit. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I want to take it a little bit further. And mm-hmm. I want, you know, I want to do uh, awareness. I want to do walkathons, and I want to have people come out and talk to the younger generation 
Um, I want to be able to go in. Now, this was crazy because I told my friend, I don't know if you remember Red Ribbon. Oh, my God. Red yes, Ribbon. Yes, I do. They still do it. Okay. They still do it. I would like to go in and kind of change the part about the alcoholism mm -hmm. because it starts younger and younger. Mm -hmm. um, and like I said, my mom would bring it in the house. But she was like, oh, that's just to clean your kidneys out. So when I drank beer, it was like, oh, I'm just cleaning my kidneys. No, don't worry about me. And then it was like, I had people like, what? And younger and younger kids are seeing moms and and, yes. and dads and aunts and, you know, mimosa Sundays and different things like that. And I wanted to put that in a curriculum to put that in. In high school, it's almost um, guaranteed you're going to drink. I mean, that's just the high school experience. Did my kids drink? I'm pretty sure they did. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, my son just graduated not too long ago. My daughter is going to graduate. Um, but I do want to change that curriculum and let children know, let young adults know, let college students know that alcohol, um, that is also a drug. Now, that one can really mess you up. I was talking to my I do, I went live on my page and I was telling my viewers that my brain is still healing it's still healing from all the vodka that I consumed and there's some days where I'm just like some days I don't remember some things you know you're just like oh I don't remember and I and I had to go back and research like my brain is still healing and I showed, I seen on A Thousand Hours Dry how they showed the, how the brain looks with alcohol. And, and it's like, I want to bring awareness to that. I want to be able to go into the schools and say, hey, let's figure out what we can do for these kids. Because now that school is opening up, you're going to have a lot of kids that's going, who haven't been in social settings anymore. Yeah. So now we got to figure out, you know, now we're back to figuring out how to make them more social emotional without medicating themselves or without thinking about let me go and smoke some weed or, or vape off a pen or or sneak some of mom's yeah. alcohol whatever it is to escape yes well, so that's that's what you'll see from me I, well i look cool. forward to seeing that from you so where can people find you now you can find me now um, on instagram my handle is uh, black sober teacher Right. And when you put in black, it's going to come up with all kind of black this, black that. But it's black sober <laughs> teacher. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I'm I'm so glad that we got to talk today. Um, oh, thank you for sharing and caring and um, inspiring. And oh, I I look forward to what you have to offer in the future. So much love yeah. and respect to you. Thank you. Thank you so much for even reaching out. I was telling my friends, I have an interview. And they're like, what job are you going for? And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I have a podcast. <laughs> I have a podcast interview. And they're like, oh, wow, you're fancy now. And I'm like, no. But I, I'm so glad I was able to come on your platform and have a space to tell my story. Because um, Real quick before we leave, I did, I don't know how to do TikTok, okay? I'm still learning technology, but I did a reel. I think that's what you call it on Instagram. Yes. And I asked my daughter, I said, I think I went viral. And she's like, why, why? Let me see. 
And I have like over 80,000. Woo, girl. Yes, you did. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa. And like every day when I look at it, I'm just like, whoa. And I, I thank God I'm able to share my story. Maybe if I can just plant the seed in one person, maybe one person could be like, you know what? Let me stop. Then I've done my job. Yeah. So hopefully one out of the 80,000, um, you know, will decide, let me start my sober journey. And if they need help, they can find me on my page. I will reach out. I will get you help. I will do everything that I can. That's fantastic. Great. Well, I will be in touch with you. Um, okay. Thank you again so much. Have, have oh, a great you. day. All right. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Soul Ease, a personal spa and lifestyle boutique. At Soul Ease, you will enter into a relaxing environment. You can rest in mind, body, and soul with a day spa experience. Discover world-class skincare treatments using French and Hungarian techniques, organic and natural skincare, along with modern technologies. Whether you're visiting us for one session or multiple times. Here will be a personal spa experience to relax and recharge your soul. Soul Ease is conveniently located near downtown Boise in the North End on North 28th Street across the street from Lowell Elementary School. Follow them on Instagram at soul underscore ease underscore Boise. Facebook at Soul Ease or check out their website at www.soul-ease.com. Dot com or call 208-994-1480 to reserve your next appointment. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Alcohol Tipping Point. I'm always here for you guys, so please feel free to reach out and talk to me on Instagram at Alcohol Tipping Point and check out my website, alcoholtippingpoint.com. Again, I hope you can use these tips we talked about for the rest of your week. And until then, see you next time.